Some didn't open for commercial reasons because there wasn't the footfall in their particular location. But for me, it had always been a decision driven by faith, driven by a really clear biblical stance that said, let's, let's get back to those 10 commandments. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Mm. Even outside the context of a biblical decision, it makes sense for us to have a day of rest once a week. We were not created to work seven days a week. Nick. Welcome to What's the Story? My name is Matt Edmondson, and this is a podcast full of stories about faith and courage from everyday people. And today, that is the amazing Mark Mitchell. We are going to be chatting about his car dealership. We're going to be chatting about brain hemorrhages and what happened when he decided not to open up on a Sunday. Oh, yes. Now, this episode is brought to you by Crowd Online Church. Mark, you know as well as I do, right? Not everybody wants to go to church and not everybody can actually get into a church building. And this is where online church works super well. It is a safe space to explore the Christian faith. And the thing that I love about Crowd is that you get to join in and shape the conversation. So if you've never been to church before, or you're looking for a new church, why not check it out? Crowd Church. The website is www.crowd.church. Or if you prefer, you can email me directly at matt at crowd.church with any questions. Love to hear from you. So let me tell you about Mark. Mark is a local lad. Uh, he was born and bred in Birkenhead on Merseyside. Uh, some of this, <laughs> some. I don't know if that's local, but we'll get into that. Uh, apparently, we're, we're all folk are plastic scousers, uh, as I'm led to believe. Now, just if you're listening outside of Liverpool, or if you're listening outside of the UK, there is a, there is a, a small river between Liverpool and uh, the Wirral, uh, which is where Mark is. So uh, Mark firmly believes that God gives each one of us gifts. And from a very early age, he realized that his gifting was in the world of commerce, setting up his own hamster retail business in the school playground. Oh, yes. Uh, this all started with a hamster. So Mark and his beautiful wife, Anita, started Mitchell Group in 1990 uh, with a little bit of money on an overdraft from Barclays Bank. And the business has grown and now represents three automotive brands, Lexus, Mazda and Skoda. I think I'm one of your best clients, Mark, obviously. Uh, and they're based over in Cheshire Oaks, uh, which is not far from Liverpool, actually. So if you're around, check it out. Lexus Chester, Lexus, Lexus, uh, Lexus Chester, Mitchell Mazda. That's it. And Mitchell Skoda. Get it right. Uh, Mark is driven by his passionate Christian faith and has always been countercultural in terms of business leadership, putting colleagues before customers. And like I say, refusing to trade on Sundays. Uh, he was appointed the UK Automotive Business Leader of the Year 2020 and at the same time <laughs> served as the late Majesty's High Sheriff of Cheshire. He serves as a Deputy Lieutenant of Cheshire until his 75th birthday. And that's why it says DL after his surname. We're going to get into that, actually. Uh, wider involvements for Mark include food bank, youth work and street pastors. He has had a rich and varied life, despite suffering from a surprise brain hemorrhage five years ago, has definitely got boundless energy and a zest for life. He's just such a top bloke. 
uh, one of the best salespersons I've ever met in my whole life and one of the most networked people I've ever come across. Uh, but his confidence and love for Christ is just inspiring. And so it's with real pleasure, Mark, that we have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's great to have you here. How are you doing? Matt, it's good to be here too. Yeah, it's been a long day at work, but I'm really pleased to be talking to you for the next uh, 45 minutes or so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's funny, isn't it? And I mean, talking about work, you know, it's, uh, we've had this conversation quite a few times, but you always say it started with a hamster, your, your little car empire that you've got going on. Well, I, 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 yeah, I think you're right, Matt. I, um, I think it's really important that each one of us understand what God's calling has in our lives and what gifts he's given us. And, uh, I don't have any gifts at all, but I did realize in the, in the later years of primary school that I had a gift of commerce. And so, um, I put two hamsters in a cage together and turned the lights down low. <laughs> well, you know what's coming next, folks, but yeah. I, put, I put some really early Greg Kendrick on. <laughs> I, I'm rubbing my hands now, but just, just 16 days later, Matt, there were 10, wow. 10 babies in the cage. And, uh, whilst I was no great animal lover, I knew I could turn these pesky rodents into hard cat. In the school playground. So literally I took them to Birkenhead school in my blazer pocket and I sold the friends in the, in, in the playground. So it's my mm. first business. And I've got to, I've got to come up, come clean really. Um, I did work this poor female hamster, um, so hard. I think she produced, um, five litters a year for me. For a oh, couple goodness me. But she was a star. Her name was Snowy. Um, yeah. And naturally, I'm very fond of her because she put these great foundations in place for me in my life. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's really funny how it, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs have a very similar sort of story, don't they, in terms of stuff they would get up to at school. And I just find it all quite fascinating. I used to, when I was at school, I had, um, I had these asthma pills because I had asthma. And the doctor prescribed these tablets that I had to take. Um, but I, I realized quite quickly that these tablets called, uh, caused uh, you to, well, they cause flatulence. They cause you to fart, basically. And, um, well, there's nothing more funny to a teenage boy uh, than a boy who farts a lot. So I sold them for 20p each. Uh, and this is back in the 80s. Um, in fact, the 20p coin had just come out, which is why I sold them for 20p each. Uh, and the doctor couldn't quite understand why I kept going back for more and more of these tablets. Hey, well done. Brilliant, Matt. Brilliant. So, so you did hamsters and I did drugs. I'm not quite sure what that says, Mark, to be fair. I think my, my, I think my route was more holes. <laughs> I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. So, um, so in terms of, I mean, we, you know, for those that don't know you, you, you obviously are very successful commercially. Um, but sort of the, the man behind the legend, if you like, um, you are obviously a very well known, a person of faith. I mean, you do a lot of, you know, I mean, you do an awful lot of stuff, the Carol Constant stuff we'll get into, but, um, where did that faith come from? Was that, how did you, how did you start your faith journey? Well, I'm one of three boys, Matt. So I'm the eldest of three, uh, we're all beautifully synchronized with two year gaps between the three of us. And, um, I think when we set up home on the Wirral, um, my mum and dad thought it'd be good to get involved with a, a church, a family. So we went to a church called St. Mary's Church in Upton, uh, a lively uh, Church of England church, and uh, they had amazing youth work. And I 
I started there when I was two or three, and mm. um, this might make some of you guys smile, but I'm still there. 50 okay. Plus years, 50 plus years on. So, you know, I probably wasn't the best Sunday school pupil. I, um, you know, I, yeah. I took the hamsters in, obviously, because it was a market. Customers even. <laughs> um, but, you know, there were stink bombs, and I perhaps wasn't the most attentive guy on a Sunday. And there were these gorgeous old deers who were probably about, 20 or 22 at the time, um, mm. but they were so faithful, bringing um, faith to life for me. And they shared the Bible stories and they talked about their own Christian journeys. And um, of course, as an eight, 10 year old, you're thinking they're older girls, but of course, you know, barely out of college these days, but they were mm. great and they were faithful. And there were a few good guides or good role models for us as well. And as a result of my time, uh, at St. Mary's, I went on a seven-day residential camp in Heswell, mm. Leaden. And uh, I remember very clearly, um, I was presented with the opportunity, the challenge of the Christian gospel. I didn't have a mortgage. I was 11. I didn't have a girlfriend from this. The left, um, I didn't really have an understanding of what lay ahead for me in life, but I made a very sincere and simple commitment mm. to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, and that was on my around my 11th birthday, uh, immensely special. Uh, and for all folk, they find faith in different ways or different stages. But for me, that's the week I'd hang my hat on that was greatly powerfully, uh, presented to me. Faith was mm. presented to me clearly, passionately, and with some excitement as well. I knew it was for me. I was, I was hands up. I was in. Mm. Fantastic. Fantastic. And have you ever looked back or have you ever, have you sort of gone through the, the sort of questioning phase or any difficult phases with that? Or have you just kind of always, always had a Christian faith from your 11th birthday? Yeah, it, it matures, doesn't it? You know, mm. you, you understand a greater perspective of life and you put your faith into different situations as you grow up and you mature and your faith matures with that. So, um, I was fortunate to be in an amazing youth group um, uh, uh, with 120 young people, 14 to 18 year olds, and um, a lot of friends. I'm still very close to them. The last pal at school and it's the youth group with me got married uh, last month in Denmark, the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we all got across to Denmark from all over the world and saw this guy get married. So these are my friends from 40 plus years on. Mm. And, uh, they're really foundational friends. So have I had challenges? Yes, in terms of sometimes making sense of faith in, in tricky situations in my adult life, but have I ever been seriously unsettled? No, thank the Lord, because I've been encouraged and cheered on by so many friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How important is that to you, to have good friends around you that sort of spur you on? Massively. I mean, and you can see the evidence that with 12 disciples, I mean, there are rum buns. And they all had shortcomings and they were all very different personalities. Um, there was your doctors and tax men and fishermen and, uh, and, and, and so on. Um, but they, they muddled through life together and mm. I'm still close to a good number of 12 mates out of my form of 26, Matt, who all, uh, came to a Christian faith the year mm. before we did GSE's O levels. So, um, yeah. Massively important to me, my friends, massively. I'm the kind of guys you can pick the phone up and speak to when life gets bumpy, as it has yeah. done for me. 
yeah. uh, topically with the black eye from a, a tumble on a bike crash in London three days ago. So, hey, life still gets bumpy, Matt. <laughs> now, were you riding the and bike or did a cyclist just bang into I, you? No, I was, I was on a Brompton riding through St. James in London weekend and uh, it was either wipe out some teenagers who crossed the road on their mobile phones without looking or head for a pothole and make a mess of yourself on the bike. So, hey, I'm, com I'm coming through it. Thank the Lord. Yes, yeah. a healer. That, <laughs> and my black eye's a lot better today than it was on Saturday morning. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, good. And I'm, I'm glad you're okay. And uh, is the bike okay? It's, uh, it's a different shape. But we're, we're... <laughs> <laughs> I've got some very resourceful motor technicians who work with me. So yeah, that's true. That's true. They, you, 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 as you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they'll get it up on the, you know, on the, on the ramps and uh, have a look yeah. at that. That'd be great. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So, so about 11 then, you obviously have this quite significant encounter with um, Christ, with the gospel. You make a decision. Uh, what was it like growing up as a, as a, a teenager being a Christian, was that easy? Was that complex? I mean, if a lot of your friends are Christians, was it maybe easier for you than most? I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. I mean, we, we hear, don't we, becoming a teenager nowadays is a little more challenging and, uh, and difficult. Um, I, I can empathize with that. But I've got to say, because the work of St. Mary's was so uh, impressive and so well-resourced that much of my friendship group in my teenage years I found in a faith setting. Mm. That's not a I made for Christians. Um, but many of my mates were Christians. And so I wasn't really the odd man out at Birkenhead School. I was one of a big number of folk who were muddling through secondary school life um, with faith and with Jesus alongside us. So mm. I'm honest with you, it wasn't tough. It was very slightly tougher going to university because I stepped out from that umbrella, that yeah. real umbrella, leads and red economics. Um, no, it was okay. I, uh, I really enjoyed growing up. Um, uh, started, he started dating a ton of gorgeous girls from church. It was lovely. Not at the same time. And, uh, but not always at the same time. And, um, uh, no, life was really good. And I look mm. back on my formative years with immense warmth and gratitude to God for how it went. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. So when did you meet Anita, who's your now wife? Anita was sleeping rough in a park when I was working for the probation service. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, I met her uh, after I graduated. I joined the motor industry. Yeah. And I worked with two fairly significant motor manufacturers, Rover, uh, mm. and then four. And I was on my first management assignment in my early 20s up in Yorkshire. In York, in fact. And I met Anita uh, up in York. Uh, she's a farmer's daughter. Mm -hmm. And uh, family farms between York and Harrogate. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I admired her from afar for a good while. There was a queue of guys wanting to date her, but I was patient and faithful and I got to my place, the front of the queue and, uh, the rest is history. Five year courtship. Then we got married. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So how long have you been married now? A million years. Um, I could, Anita wanted to be at work on Liverpool on Friday. She was working as a PA to one of the directors at Littlewoods. And I rang up and said, can she take a day off? And uh, I took her to Mount Vesuvius, mm. Italy, uh, on a In a day? In a day, and proposed at the top of Vesuvius. She said yes. I got volcanic ash all over my 501s. And, <laughs> uh, that, that, was 30, that, that was 31 years ago, Matt. So, um, Fantastic. I wanted to marry a godly wife, 
And uh, there's a lovely chat to the back end of the Proverbs mm. written by about how yeah. to find a God. So any single guys watching tonight, pick your Bibles up and yep. check out Proverbs 31. Yeah, um, P31. P31. That was yeah. always the code, wasn't it? Is, are you dating someone who's a P31? Uh, yeah. That was, uh, it's definitely worth reading. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that was 31 years ago, man. That's some, that's a good inning. So well done. That's uh, congratulations. Yeah. I adore her. I adore her. And, uh, and she me on a big date. So that's wonderful. It's great. We've got two boys, uh, James and Elliot. Um, yeah. And, uh, they're in their twenties now, uh, yeah. James, uh, in Liverpool, in Wavertree, uh, and, uh, Elliot's finding himself as he finishes university in Oxford. So he's mm. the good boy. Yeah. The guy yeah, on yeah. the yeah, it's great. In fact, I see James on a fairly regular basis. He and I live on the same street. Uh, and as so as his wife, I can't leave Daisy Mitchell out either, but Daisy's uh, true. Daisy is, is a beautiful young lady. I saw her actually two days ago. Uh, so uh, it was yeah. nice to see her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Been great. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so you're, you're sort of, you're working in the automotive industry. Um, yeah. You, you are courting and marrying after proposing on the top of Mount Vesuvius, uh, because why would you not get in yeah. uh, volcanic ash all over your 501s? Um, what was the journey from uh, sort of a quick sort of, you, you obviously at some point move from that and start your own car dealership. How did, what was that journey? Well, it, it's quite a long journey, Matt, because if this is old money really, but if you were to want to build a car dealership. 30 years ago, you need a million pound for a piece of land mm. in a key allocation. You need a million pound for the building and you need a million pound for what's called working capital, which wow. funds your stock and something called debtors, the people who owe you money. Mm -hmm. So you need three million. The number's probably in there in nine million now. Wow. You have a corporate career for six years. You work for two major manufacturers. You work for two retail dealership groups. You come back to your homeland on the Wirral and you think, right, this is it. And of course, you haven't got 50% of the cost of building a dealership mm. in ready cash. So you start more modestly. And, uh, and each one I started with a petrol station. Yep. Uh, a brand new was the UK flagship site for a French oil company called Elf mm. and Total. And um, although we put the hours in that, it was um, rather strange when my fellow graduates were all racing up their career ladders at Ford organizing Formula One and uh, mm. uh, uh, press fleets for the royal family and uh, big conventions across Europe. And Anita and I were doing the evening shift at 11 o'clock, putting tins of beans out and bars of chocolates at our petrol station because our cashier telephoned ill at half an hour's notice and our Saturday night's gone. Yeah. So we learned some really good lessons there. I mean, we I don't think I had a, a, a um, too cozy an upbringing. I met people from all walks of life when mm. we started recruiting that. And um, yeah, we had a petrol station we built every year. So over four years, we opened four, we built some critical mass. We had a good street. But it was six years till we have enough money on our, under our belts and the uh, relationship with the bank to borrow the millions that it it needed to build our first dealership, which was mm. a Japanese brand called Mitsubishi. Yeah. Wow. So, so it, it wasn't, it was little six, 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 seven years. Took six or seven years just working diligently and hard and you're building. And it's, I mean, it sounds quite sensible in the fact that you're building organically, you're building every year, you're building up this sort of critical mass. 
Was the plan to always go and do the car dealership? Yeah. Well, it's a closely kept secret, Matt. I'm sure you won't tell a soul, but I'm into cars. Uh, <laughs> I got into cars uh, as a on the milk round. And um, uh, in retrospect, I love the industry. I love the people. Um, I love the numbers. I'm, I'm highly numerate. I'm, I'm, I'm good with my ratios and margins and what we in the business world are called KPIs, key performance indicators. So I'm hot on numbers, but I love people. Mm. And I love the 106 people who work with me. I love most when I can remember the names of my 23,000 customers. So mm. um, it doesn't matter what it is, but I think in the automotive sector, it's more exciting than washing machines and whatever else, a clothing brand or whatever. For me, yeah. cars is, uh, it's good. And it, I took you about the car as well. So um, it, it was a long journey. Um, and we got there and built the ship. We had college and how it all began in 97. Yeah. Well, well, so, uh, so <laughs> I like that. I'm not a big fan of cars. I wasn't a big fan of cars. So six or seven years in, right. You've got your Mitsubishi dealership. Is that, that this must've been like, you know, all Christmas has come at once, you know, you're kind of like happy as a pig in stink, as they like to say, uh, how did it go? Oh, Matt, this was a dream come true for me uh, in human terms, you know, to have mm. my own business, uh, having, um, left my hamster trading behind 20 years <laughs> earlier, um, 25 years probably, um, you know, it was a brand new build four wheel drive business with what was then Mitsubishi Shogun's amazingly mm. well, well-respected Japanese cars. And, uh, we were one of 120 businesses in the UK. And, um, we worked jolly hard. We didn't work on a Sunday, perhaps more of that later, but but jolly hard. And we were taken to, uh, the final, the world final, uh, for the UK dealership of the year. We were in Zimbabwe and then Mauritius and incredibly, and we thank God for this. We won the coveted award of being their dealership of the year, not once, but for two consecutive years. Oh, wow. And many cars you sold, it's based on more qualitative criteria about, uh, customer service levels, um, uh, uh, staff development, uh, marketing, um, how we position the brand. It was a very sophisticated, um, list of criteria and we won it not once, but mm. twice. So that's a real treat. And that was something very special. We, we really were surprised and pleased to win. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you were. I bet, geez, I'd, we'll get into that maybe on the leadership podcast, but, um, you just, just circling back, you didn't trade on Sundays and this is, this is when, um, actually probably was, this is what I first heard about you. Uh, you know, when you sort of hear about people in different circles, it was that the guy that didn't trade on Sundays, the car guy that didn't trade on Sundays and everyone's like, wow, this is incredible. What was that all about? Well, you realize, don't you, as, as being a business leader, even with then a small team of 20 people, um, the, the decisions you make have a huge bearing on your colleague's life. Yeah. And so like nearly every other car business is, is open on a Sunday. Um, if you expect your colleagues to work Sundays and you give them a Tuesday off, invariably their kids will be at school, mm -hmm. uh, 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 and your wife or husband uh, will be at work. So the prospects for family roast on a Sunday, which many of us look forward to or a walk or it, 
if you're minded to, to get involved with a church family on a Sunday, that's a huge problem for people in retail mm. and allocated at this very significant strategic location at Cheshire Oaks, where there's over 300 shops open on a Sunday, mm. early late finishes. Um, let's not forget that, um, uh, 25 years ago, Sunday trading was illegal in the UK. Yeah, it was. You could go and you could view, but you couldn't mm. buy. Mm. It was a bit of a nonsense to get around the law, but that's how things were. So, um, it was a real shock to me when, um, and I'm not going to talk about Mitsubishi now. It was a real shock when our motor manufacturer, when rewriting the dealer agreements in 2004, uh, decided to mandate Sunday trading was a requirement for anyone holding this motor franchise in the UK. Mm. And of the 120 locations, I guess well over 110 trades on Sundays anyway. So it wasn't a big deal for them. Some didn't open for commercial reasons because there wasn't the footfall in their particular location. But for me, it had always been a decision driven by faith mm. and driven by a really clear biblical stance that said, Let's, let's get back to those 10 commandments. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Mm. Even outside the context of a biblical decision, it makes sense for us to have a day of rest once a week. We were not created to work seven days a week. Right, and that yeah. Tuesday off thing when your colleagues working on a Sunday, you know, you suddenly realize as a young business leader in your early thirties that the decisions you're going to make are going to influence the strength of family life in 20 different homes. Mm. So I was the CDMD of, uh, this particular motor manufacturer, uh, he and I had worked at Ford Motor Company together as graduates. And I said, look, I'm really unhappy about the Sunday thing. We are, of course, your dealership of the year, not once, but for two consecutive years. Yeah. Uh, and I was, uh, the suggestion was, look, Mike, you don't have to work on a Sunday. And I said, no, it's not about me. It's about our colleagues. So, um, I had to leave the meeting eventually and said, look, I'm I'm really clear about this at the end of my life, I'm more accountable to my ultimate manufacturer than my motor manufacturer. Yeah. And we had a difficult decision to make, but rather than giving people a Sunday off, we made bands of people redundant. Wow. And on the, in June 04, everyone took their overalls off first time, put them in the corporate laundry basket. Uh, we, we shut, we took the cars outside. Locked the door for the last time. And that's the last time we ever went into that building. And my 20 colleagues, not just had a Sunday off, but they lost their jobs. Uh, but the wonderful thing is God's timing is perfect. And, um, uh, we had a year to prepare for this. And during that year, I had a chance to make a clear agreement and contractually with Mazda cars mm. and the Monday after Friday, all 20 staff walked into a Uh, where they transferred from one brand to another. It was a Japanese brand, similar market share. Uh, but of course we had that conversation about Sundays where we and master are very happy about the arrangements that happened for the past 18 years. Wow. Great story about God's timing. Yeah. Uh, God having things lined up. Um, I wrote to all 2000 customers, Matt, explaining the decision I've made. Some of whom had just bought a car from us a month or so earlier. So it was a difficult letter to write, but I. I put a scripture in that letter, a verse from the Old Testament from 1 Samuel 2, chapter 2, verse 30. And um, the, uh, the scripture is for those who need reminding of it. Uh, those who honor God, God will honor. 
Mm. Um, we really felt on on a Sunday thing. That must have been. Um, I mean, it's you know, it, it, here we are, how many years later? Sort of almost thirty years, twenty years later, and you're you're talking about it now, and it's like, yeah, it, it, we, you know, we decided not to carry on with that particular manufacturer because they wanted Sunday trading. We didn't want to do Sunday trading because. One, it was mandated by God, and two, we wanted to care for the families of the people that work for us. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the 20 guys lost their jobs, but then it wasn't too long after that, and they walk into sort of these jobs with Mazda. It almost, Mark, sort of rolls off the tongue a little bit, but I'd, that could not have been an easy decision to make, surely, at that time. Well, it wasn't. We did have, we did have a new relationship. We'd begun with with Lexus. Mm. Uh, so we, we did have a foot in another camp at that stage, Matt. So I won't say it was all or nothing, but we team in place at Lexus, the 20 colleagues from the business we closed, um, had nowhere to go. So there was mm. the whole reduction and in commercial terms, um, just positionings for you, our annual sales, our turnover was 10 million. Wow. And our profit was about 250,000. So we walked away from a business we'd worked so hard at, uh, and we got some, a good profit stream going. You make losses mm. in the early, start to make profits. And that's what we walked away from because we thought we were doing the right thing. Yeah. That's incredible. But like you say, I mean, you know, all these years later, you now have um, three dealerships, don't you? You've got Mazda, Lexus, and yeah. Skoda. And do you, yeah. you still, do the we're closed on Sunday thing? Well, we don't use the word closed. We're on all our websites and our front doors, our trading hours are very clearly marked Monday to Friday, X to Y, Saturday, X to Y, Sunday. We don't put closed. We put at home with the family. Yeah. So a bit cheeky. Uh, it's a little bit humorous, um, but it sends a really clear message as to why we are closed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's been the feedback on it? Because it is still, I mean, like you say, 25 years ago, it was illegal to open on a Sunday. Today, everybody expects to go to any shop on a Sunday and buy whatever they want anytime they like. So what's the feedback from customers uh, on this? Well, the decision I took, Matt, was driven by my passionate, as you said earlier, Christian faith. Mm. But I tell you, people, whether they have little or no faith, love businesses uh, that have strong cultures and very clear boundaries. Mm. And so many who uh, do business with us who engage with me say I don't see life as you do Mark maybe yet uh, but I do like the fact you put your colleagues first and you shut on Sunday mm. I like the fact value driven business with a value driven culture mm. yeah I mean, yeah, I mean and it, it must be working because obviously you get a lot of customers coming back time and time again right and so um, so that's really that's really intriguing to me, Mark. That you that you made that decision and uh, super inspiring and, and wonderful story. Um, but if I can fast forward a few years uh, from that point to what we said in the intro, so five years ago you had this surprise brain hemorrhage, right? Um, what happened there? Yeah, I was away on holiday in uh, mid France with Anita and our two boys, James and Elliot, and uh, I was to holiday location, beautiful six-star campsite run by an organization called Spring Harvest Holidays. Mm. And uh, last day there, just this absolute thunderbolt of a headache. Um, never had anything like it before. 
we were leaving, so we left thinking it was a headache, got back across the channel. Uh, I was in no fit state even to be in a car when we got to the south coast, got back to the northwest of England, rang my near neighbor who's a neurologist, and I got fast-tracked into the neuro center in North Liverpool. So mm. three scan, and I had a brain hemorrhage. Um, each of us have tens and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of uh, blood vessels in our, in our heads. And uh, one in 30 of us have something called an aneurysm. Mm-hmm. And others want 30, about one in 15,000 of those folk have a rupture or a hemorrhage or a bleed on the brain. Um, and that's why I had, uh, I didn't ask the question of God, why me? Mm. Um, I was taken into surgery. Uh, there were some biggest risks that could have been problems. So, you know, Anita and I prayed together. We asked for some time together and we just trusted God that we were doing the right thing going ahead with the surgery. Mm. If I had, and I did ask that, I did ask the medics. How about I come back in a month's time? They did say to me, you've got a 50, 50 chance of being alive. So, oh, well, well, um, uh, it, it had to happen, the surgery, but there were some significant attendant risks that went with it. Mm. In God's goodness, I came through it meant not everyone does. My mother died of brain hemorrhage, um, 30 years earlier, uh, wow. when the surgery sophisticated, I came through it, but one of the outcomes about having, uh, these little metal coils put in your system to deal with the hemorrhage is that a good number of folk experience serious anxiety in their lives the first time. Mm. And that was a place I found myself in, uh, when you and I met up again, and as we have done over the years, and you and I walked together, um, in the open countryside, uh, cause I, you, you need to have exercise. It's very important. Mm. Uh, but also you need some people who can cheer you on and stand alongside you as you come to terms with this rather unusual emotion called anxiety. Yeah. And it was tough. It was really tough. A lot of mates came and prayed with me. A lot of folk walked with me, had some help medically. And I also relied on the diocese of Chester who ran an amazing uh, counseling service. So to have counseling through um, a secular route, perhaps a more formal route, the NHS would have been tremendous, but it didn't mm. have that lovely gentle faith foundation yeah. to what was and so i was in a really good place and really well looked after and mm. gradually workplace yeah i was oh. really pointed matter about one thing what was that how well my colleagues held the business together <laughs> <laughs> they they did a really good job and i'm sure i was fairly you know, be there every day didn't i and of course you know mm. uh, best 12 months away and they all did a brilliant job and I'm immensely proud of each one of them. Yeah. So does that mean you're less, have you got sort of back involved in the business on a day to day or you just kind of gone, no, no, these yeah. guys do a good job. So I can sort of step back a little bit. Yeah. But that's lazy, isn't it? <laughs> if you, you know, if you really, if you really feel called to lead and be with people and engage and challenge and encourage mm. where I want to be, I don't yeah. know what I'd do. Wet, soggy morning in February here. Oh, yeah. I wasn't in the thick of it. So I love what I do. But of course, when I'm in the office, it does provide me with opportunity to get involved with other, other commitments as well. We take the whole issue, um, biblically instruction of tithing really seriously. So mm. I asked about that when I was 18 at university from the pulpit, another lively church, church, and it was a bit of a wake up call for me. 
because uh, I probably wasn't the most cheerful of givers in my teens. Uh, all that God would like us to give 10% of our student grant mm. uh, the first university was a bit of a shock. Um, and by nature, I'm, I'm not awfully compliant, but I'm, I'm fairly obedient biblically. So started giving. It was the equivalent of three Chinese takeaways a week, which was yeah. a real advice for a guy who loved his Chinese food, but I did it. And uh, we continue to do that now. So it does mean each December when we get to the end of the year, we work out how the, the year's gone or what our profits have been. You know, we put some money into um, a, a, a trust. And when we get involved with all kinds of projects, locally, regionally, mm. and overseas, of course, as well. So that takes time up during the working day when I'm in the office. And that's why I like being at work. And there's also some county commitments, Matt, as well, which we can perhaps talk about that, you know, really occupy time when you're behind your desk with your telephone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this again, you know, Mark, uh, and not to um, uh, make you too big headed, you are very known for your um, story about Sundays, but you're also very known for your generosity. And you've, you know, God, just from someone on the outside, right? As a, as a friend and as a customer, you obviously have this insanely gr- successful business, which is great, but you are insanely generous with it. And, and that's wonderful to see, actually. Um, so you, you, you do that, but you're, um, you, you do have these initials, DL, you know, uh, Deputy Lieutenant uh, after your name. For those maybe outside of the UK, or maybe those who are in the UK that actually don't know what that means, what is that? Well, each, uh, each county has a lieutenancy and the head of the lieutenancy, uh, there's a Lord Lieutenant. And when, uh, his majesty, uh, King Charles isn't in Cheshire, uh, the Lord Lieutenant, who happens to be a delightful adopted scouser called Alexis Redmond, who's Baron mm. so the uh, Phil Redmond. Uh, okay. Yep. Brookside and Hollyoaks. And if you're old enough, <clears throat> I just blanked on this, the school program. Help me, Matt. Grange Hill. Grange Hill, well done. Fame. Um, Alex Redmond, uh, Lady Redmond, is our Lord Lieutenant. And she has a number of deputy lieutenants strategically placed across Cheshire mm. who are the uh, lieutenancy. Uh, it's a great privilege. Um, so we are serving His Majesty the King. Uh, we will be looking for people doing outstanding stuff across the county. Uh, we're fortunate to be able to give invitations out for garden parties at the Buckingham Palace. Uh, MBEs, uh, OBEs, uh, and CBEs, and even knighthoods. So um, that's part of our role as deputy lieutenants. Uh, uh, but essentially, we're representing the monarch, the sovereign, mm. uh, when in Charles isn't in Cheshire, which is much of the time, of course. So each county has a lord lieutenant, and each county has a number of DLs, deputy lieutenants. Mm. Yeah. Well, and so how did uh, how did this happen? Right? How did you did you just stumble into this, or did you how, did you just wake up one day and go, "I'm going to be the deputy lieutenant"? Oh, well, you, you, you certainly don't volunteer to do it, Matt. Let's <laughs> say um, it was linked to um, an approach I had to be at the time Her Majesty's High Sheriff of Cheshire. Right, and the High does a dis- different job to Lord Lieutenant. I won't make it too complicated, but I probably accepted the the wrong lunch invitation at the wrong venue on the wrong day. But over my, over my pudding, I was asked if I would give some serious thoughts of becoming Her Majesty's, at the time, High Sheriff of Cheshire. Mm. Uh, and uh, it was a great privilege. And you're asked five years before you 
serve your year in office. Uh, the high sheriffs essentially the Queen's at the time chief executive, whereas the Lord Lieutenants and the monarchs uh, personal representatives. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I was asked if I'd consider being, being uh, taking this role on. I was a bit shocked. Uh, I came home, spoke to Anita. We prayed about it. Uh, we took one of the couple into our confidence and uh, I felt it was the right thing to do. It was a wonderful year, mm. you know, being light in Cheshire. There's a million people live in the county. Uh, there's 4,000 charities across Cheshire serving the people so well. And I thought, mm. yeah, part of this. It was uh, a tremendous year and an immense privilege for me and for Anita personally. Yeah. Oh, well done. No, that's fantastic. That's, I, I take it you met uh, Her Majesty the Queen. Um, she was due to come and she had to cancel. Oh. But I met many because the royal family as well, which was tremendous. Mm. The Buckingham Palace Garden parties are events you'll never, ever forget. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'll let you know when I've been invited to one. Well, yeah. <laughs> I've yet to receive the invitation. It's only Matt I'm Matt, I'm sure. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, Mark, all this, I mean, all this has happened, right? You've, you've got this amazing story. Um, sure, it's had its ups and its downs, but here you are and here you, you, you sort of sit. Um, if you could go back in time and just give yourself, you know, when you're the young sort of 20-year-old sat there just about to finish university, a, a piece of advice, what would it be? There's a lovely scripture. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, all these other things will be given to you. And um, I, I've got to say, I perhaps in my teens and late 20s didn't have that very clear spiritual perspective and calling on what God was calling me to do. But God was good with me and he saw me through it. He opened doors for me and he's blessed much, but not all of what we've done. So I'd be saying to young people in their early mid twenties, just seek God first. Yeah. Uh, and, and be in the privacy of the time alone you might spend with God each morning, each evening, or it might be being surrounded as I was fortunate to be surrounded by good guys and girls who would cheer me on, pray with me and challenge me on occasions about my perspective and understanding of things. Mm. So that's probably where I'd sit on that one, Matt. Yeah. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's, it's. It's pretty sound advice, isn't it? It's not always easy to do, but it, it, as advice, you can you can go that. Well, that makes sense. I I, I get that. Uh, brilliant. And, and and how does that work out? Because you know clearly, I'm not at the front line of our three businesses, hour in hour out. So mm. seeking first, seeking first, um, as Paul often puts in his epistles to the new churches in the in the first century. Seeking the mind of Christ in your mm. decision and leading well. And when you have over a hundred people working with you, uh, I've always made a real priority of ensuring anyone who joins our business is interviewed by me. Mm. First interview will have a second interview with me, but we'll try if we can to go and visit a candidate in their current place of work. Okay. It's not only an interview, it's always the real thing. Mm. So we a lot of digging around. And if we recruit well, we keep our people. Mm. We only lose three or four colleagues a year in the mm. industry that that's your force a year. Wow. That's pretty good, hasn't it? Yeah. I am an HR manager. We don't have an HR manager. So but we, as we prepared for this, we did talk about how I engage with my colleagues and how we retain staff. Uh, and if you have 
people with you a long time. And next month, as we speak tonight, we will all have worked together for a thousand years. Oh, wow. Heard of. But it means there's continuity when our customers come in and see the same people year in, year mm. out. Or with our complimentary Saturday morning car wash we give mm. our customers and they post a car week in, week out when we see our mm. customers. They see the same faces. They have a confidence. They have a warmth. They have a sense of being at ease in an environment that's often seen as being um, fairly unsettling or mm. um yeah, it can be it can be quite unsettling places to walk through the door of a car showroom. Mm. And so we try to take all that away in terms of how we engage with our customers. And that's only through our people. Our strap line, Matt, is it's our people who make the difference. Mm. And if you don't make a difference, we're the same as the other four and a half thousand car businesses in the UK. But I believe day in, day out, we do make a difference. Yeah. So it means taking care of people. We have um a wonderful holiday lodge in North Wales where everyone across the business gets a chance to have a complimentary holiday, free holiday mm. with their family. Yeah. We have Saturday and we have summer halves and winter halves where alongside your holiday allocation, you get a half day in summer. So you never miss your son bringing uh, the egg and spoon race over the finishing line. Fantastic. You're not uh, And in the winter, you know, I want you to see Flossie as the sheep in the school activity play and you I'm away from the business to go and do that. So mm. like that are really, really important to me. And if we mm. look after our themes, um, they're my flock. I'm probably the closest. Yeah. Nearly all colleagues would get to a church leaders. Mm. Um, that's a real priority for me. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. And that's for you. That's what seeking the kingdom of God is like uh, at work. Right. And it's, um, that's really awesome. Mark, listen, uh, I'm aware of time. Uh, I'm aware that your beautiful wife is going to be coming home any second. Uh, so um, how do people reach you if they want to connect with you? People tend to ring me up these days, but um, <laughs> I take email. And uh, my email address is m.mitchell, double L, m.mitchell at mitchellgroup.co.uk. Yeah. Uh, and if you have any questions, I'm sure Mark would love to answer them uh, about faith or whatever and just connect with him. Uh, Mark, listen, I... As always, I always enjoy our conversation. I think I, I, I get inspired and I laugh uh, and I just I just enjoy being with you, bud. And so I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Uh, it's been an absolute treat. I really enjoyed being with you again, Matt, today. Thank you very much. Oh, you're a legend. We will, of course, link to Mark's info in the show notes, which you can get for free along with the transcript. Uh, and notes at the website www.crowd.church or if you signed up to the newsletter it'll be winging its way to your inbox no problem do check out uh, crowd church uh, even if you don't see the point of church just have a look see what you think we're all on a quest here at crowd to uh, discover how jesus helps us live a more meaningful life this life that mark has been talking about so we are a community, a space to explore the Christian faith and a place where you can contribute and grow. And you are welcome at Crowd Church. Be sure to subscribe to What's the Story wherever you get your podcasts from because we've got some more great conversations lined up and I do not want you to miss any of them. And in case no one has told you yet today, you are awesome. Absolutely. It's just the way God made you and it's a burden we have to bear. Mark has to bear it. I have to bear it. You have to bear it. 
What's the Story is produced by Crowd uh, Online Church. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, George McQuaig, Josh Catchpole, Estella Robin, and Tim Johnson. Our theme song is written by Josh Edmondson. And if you would like, as I say, to read the transcript and show notes, they'll be available on the website www.crowd.church. Well, like I say, if you're not signed up, sign up for the newsletter. That's it from me. Uh, That's it from Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a fantastic week wherever you are. I will see you next time. Bye for now.